It just feels like Magneto has like allowed all of those members to be on his team, bar Cornfield. He's just there like, why am I putting up with this? Why are you here? Cornfield, what's your name? Cornfielderson. What's your real name? Cornfielderson. <laughs> <laughs> he just gives him a piece of corn like you're a god amongst insects. Mutants. Since the dawn of their franchise, they have been regarded with fear, suspicion, often hatred across the planet. Debate rages. Are mutants the next link in the MCU chain? Or simply their own franchise, fighting for their share of the box office? Either way, it is historical fact that we will never get new mutants released to audiences. Or Gambit. Or X-Force. Or X-Men Origins Magneto. Or a good Dark Phoenix film. All of them just in development hell. Today we are talking about the main X-Men franchise, where it all began, the original trilogy, as the first film is celebrating its 20th anniversary. So, yes, welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the topics worth discussing and the movies worth watching. I am your host, Professor David Osger. And I'm joined by our very own beast. Uh, I mean, uh, Hank McCoy, Craig McDonald. Hello, Craig. You are pushing your luck. <laughs> Come on, Craig. Did you not watch The Last Stand? And during that fight scene, think this is how I'd handle that situation where he's just like, diplomacy is, now you get the point. <laughs> Swinging his arms around. I mean, yeah, but I was more objective. At first, I was already a bit miffed you're considering yourself professor. <laughs> The, the thing is, I, I don't know X-Men well enough to be able to come up with like an absolute damning insult for you like I did with the Joker episode. So I, I guess I have to let you off with it. I'm just going <laughs> to scowl at you for the rest of the episode. But I could be any of the professors. I could just be a teacher at the school. I mean, oh. Craig, you could just say he's the director of The Last Stand. Or, or that character who just died in the animated series that you, you said about before. That just... A morph. <laughs> yeah. A morph. <laughs> I am off. <laughs> I'm not sure if I could be that harsh to him, though. I think we've actually, I think we've found our base level of where I'm willing to joke about David. <laughs> so, yes, we are also joined today by one of our many comic book experts. He's usually with us on our DC content, but today he's switching it up and joining us for some Marvel. But interestingly, technically, you haven't yet joined us for Disney Marvel. Uh, yeah, Jake, as we're still in, in the Fox, <laughs> yeah, still in the Fox world. H how are you doing today? Yeah, yeah, pretty good, guys. Excited to come back on the show, talk X-Men with you, and um, just in general, talk movies with people. It's I've been aching to do this, obviously, since lockdown, so happy to be back. Yeah, it gives a great chance, as we were saying before, about watching different films. Uh, it's given us a great chance to revisit those original three films. And yeah, and it's interesting watching them all together, you know, like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. You can sort of see how they intertwine a bit more. You know, you talked as well about, you know, lockdown. We've talked a lot to other people about, you know, what they've been watching, how they've dealt with, you know, not having cinemas, all that kind of stuff. How, how have you found it, you know, specifically as a comic book reader? Because obviously that industry has gone through quite turbulent times yeah it's been it's been, i mean for every industry really this whole situation has been really tough but comic books especially have been hit really hard with pretty much the only uh, distributor diamond seizing all 
uh, trade for a while. And then obviously the big news that DC have cut ties with Diamond, which is huge news for that. Comic creators struggling for work, comic book shops struggling to stay open. So yeah, it, it, it's been a it's been a struggle, but I've tried to do my best where I can, where I can help. So going to your local comic book shops, a lot of them these days have um, online gift cards. So you could, you know, so I sort of like purchased a gift card so I could then use it later when they reopen. So they need that money at that point. So yeah, yeah, just looking at any ways to help these guys out because without the comics, we don't get the films made that we get to talk about here. So. The reason we are talking about X-Men, X2 and X-Men The Last Stand is because coming up is the 20th anniversary of the original X-Men film that was released on the 14th of July in 2000. It premiered on the 12th of July on Ellis Island, where part of the film is roughly based. And, you know, we've also got The New Mutants, which we joked at the start is meant to be coming out on August 28th. So, you know, we've, we've talked about discussing x-men for a while because potentially you know this this film has been coming out for a long time and yeah it's crazy to think that they filmed that five years ago and it still hasn't been released regardless of new mutants i think it's still very fun to look back you know 20 years 2000 it was a very different time for superhero films because they were in their infancy they were just starting off and that's a lot of the questions we're going to be asking today so you know we'll be talking about did it kick off the superhero trend? You know, they were a part of that sort of Spider-Man, Blade era of starting off this trend of comic book movies. Uh, why did the franchise endure for so long? So unlike other franchises, they haven't so much rebooted themselves as much as, as other ones have. And, you know, how faithful and successful was that first trilogy? You know, was later films only produced because of the success of these three films? And, and you know, how... How faithful are they to the comic books they're adapting? Because that's quite a sticking point for a lot of fans throughout the years as well. Ladies and gentlemen, we are now seeing the beginnings of another stage of human evolution. The truth is that mutants are very real and they are among us. We must know who they are and above all, what they can do. Not what you think, not all of us. Who are you people? What kind of place is this? I'm Professor Charles Xavier. I built this school where mutants could learn to focus their powers in a positive way. And also learn that mankind was not evil, just uninformed. You'll be safe here from Magneto, a very powerful mutant who believes that a war is brewing between mutants and the rest of humanity. I've never seen anything like this before. We are the future, Charles, not them. They no longer matter. Hold on to something. Don't give up on them. Mankind has evolved. Not anymore. You know, going into the, the first films, like Craig, you said earlier, this was quite different for you when you were growing up. You didn't grow up as much with these films. You were, you had seen bits and bobs of it. So, you know, how did you find it, you know, generally or, or for the first film? 
so watching these fully for the first time, even though you you knew elements of it and scenes, etc. I will say that is that must have been quite an experience to watch them all three for the first time. It it was weird. So I mean, I had preconceived notions based on what people have told me about the films, and in a variety of ways, those expectations were altered at times. But what was good was I def- definitely was able to see like the evolution uh, the evolution of uh, how they could bring like the X Men teams onto screens a bit more, which will have me having saying some interesting things later. But honestly, it didn't feel that bad as an experience. I think what was more jarring for me was honestly some of the uh, some of the actual X Men they decide to focus on at different points. Like, because I had seen the cartoon as a kid, and I think throughout most of my time watching the films, I just kept saying, "Where's Beast? Where's Hank McCoy? Where is he? What have you done?" Yeah. And then when he turns up in Last Stand, I'm just like, "Why is it only now he's here? <laughs> yeah. Come on!" I don't know. I feel like because of the fact that I've only seen uh, seen them in the, in their entirety last night. Apart from, I may have seen Last Stand years ago. I don't know. I just remember seeing many. I remember having, well, I remember more of the scenes from Last Stand from other places than I do the others. Like I'd seen nothing of of X Men. I'd seen certain clips, including a notorious prison break scene from X2 and then Last Stand I pretty much could just remember every single scene from somewhere so I don't know if I have just seen Last Stand but forgotten it's interesting thinking about it in the context though that you've only then sort of watched Last Stand again properly or like all the way through so like I said we'll get onto that later because they kind of do mimic elements of of the Dark Phoenix storyline in both films which is kind of strange like I said, starting off with uh, that original film, so which is just titled X-Men, uh, that came out in uh, 2000 on the 14th of July, uh, hence why it's now coming up to its 20th anniversary. Directed by Brian Singer, it stars, of course, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. You've got Patrick Stewart as Charles Xavier. You've got Ian McKellen as Magneto. Famke Janssen as Jean Grey. Uh, James Marsden as Scott Summers slash Cyclops. You've got Halle Berry as Storm. Uh, Anna Paquin as Rogue. And then you start to get like little tidbits of some of the other characters who show up throughout. And especially like Mystique, etc. So a lot of this cast like pretty much sticks with it throughout the entire trilogy. And Brian Singer will, you know, come back to direct. But, you know, like I said, this was often hailed as one of the first superhero films because it did sort of come to cinemas before Spider-Man and a lot of the other films you had had were maybe sort of more aimed at adults or teenagers because it might have been, you know, rated 15 or 18 uh, in the case of ones like Blade or, uh, you know, things like Punisher and that, and that kind of stuff. So, so so what did you think, like, uh, going back to this film, Jake, you know, what what's your sort of thoughts on it as the original X-Men film? Well... I think when, when people ask me, because in, in friend groups, I tend to be the comic book guy. So when people ask me what was the first superhero movie to transcend into the sort of modern era that we're in now, I always say this movie, the first X-Men movie in the year 2000, because it's the one where I think they took the source material and they looked at it and they said, right, what is this comic series about? And it is all about very serious themes. It's about discrimination. It's about unfair situations in society. It's about discovering your powers. You know, teenagers going through puberty, very similar parallel there. And, you know, they took those themes and they took them very seriously. You know, there's 
re-watching those, um, didn't quite realize there's not that many jokes or quips in the first few movies, unlike the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, which had a much more lighthearted tone. But the beginning of this movie, you know, they throw you into this first scene in a Nazi camp. Now, you're going in hard when you start off a movie that, and you're basically establishing the tone for the rest of the franchise. And I, I think the reason they did that was because coming off, um, you know, rest in peace, Joel Schumacher, uh, coming off his Batman films in the late 90s, mid to late 90s, I think they really wanted to get away from that goofy, wacky, sense of comic book movies so this is why you know they took this so seriously you know we see magneto getting persecuted for being jewish he loses his parents there's uh it's it's so much political elements in this film you know to then immediately follow up with um the scene uh, which i i've watched this scene about five times to like sort of for this uh, podcast uh, it's one of my favorite scenes in the first film and it's when gene gray's in congress talking about the mutant registration act uh, the whole thing is about politics. It's all about political identity and discrimination. And, you know, it's how showing how politicians can use this as a weapon as well for fear mongering and all sorts of things like that. And what's particularly interesting about this scene is that you have Senator Kelly coming out and saying, you know, should we, do we want our children to go to school with mutants? You know, do, uh, I'm not paraphrasing, but do we want our kids to be taught by mutants? And so it's a very political driven discrimination. Um, it's because it's not just I don't like you because you're different. It's more like I don't like you and I'm going to make policy and laws that openly discriminate you. So that, that, that's what's so fascinating about the whole concept of X-Men. And I think they pretty much nailed it in this first movie right from the get go. They told you exactly what we're going for here. A lot of it lends itself to that kind of era in which it's, you know, 2000 and everything is kind of chrome and steel and black leather. And, you know, that was very much, you know, what you would get from your average action movie and, and you know, those cool, like, you know, reds and blues. And, you know, the trailer itself is kind of a product of its time if you go back and watch the original trailer. But, yeah, I think you're definitely right. You know, the first note I made about, you know, rewatching it was, you know, bold, you know, starting off with literally like a scene in Outfits, you know, and... And few films will do that these days. They'll go, right, you're going to understand the villain from the very get-go of this this movie. And that's often a complaint about, you know, villains in superhero films is that they're, you know, they're not well uh, developed enough or not thought out enough. And yeah, X-Men doesn't maybe have like thorough detail into Magneto, but again, they have that, they're bold enough to immediately start off with understanding his character from uh, the very get-go. This is the great thing about a lot of the villains in the in the X-Men stories. Yeah. Because most of the villains, if you actually look at them, are not superpowered people. They're mm. politicians or military personnel, uh, like you know, Senator Kelly or William Stryker. Uh, you're, so they're portraying these mutants as a threat, when in reality, it's because they it's their own fear of not having control over these people. Those villains, you know, quotation marks villains. I was just so interesting. And then you also had Magneto, who there's plenty of times you question, is he a villain? Mm. I mean, yeah, he might be going about things the wrong way, but he's got a sense of morals and he's doing this for what he believes is right and for his people. Yeah, I think, and he is such an interesting character and, uh, you know, potentially get onto that later in, in the role he plays in each one of these films. And yeah, what you were saying about the political element of it, I think what they was always really great that they did is they set the tone you know the fact that they 
went into it straight away being like, no, this is sort of like a film about dividing people. And, you know, they very much set it as mutants are just a type of people, of people in society. I never felt that they were like the Inhumans, that they were this race of people and they're all there in these spangly outfits. You know, because sometimes that is a bit hard to to get on board with in the comics when you have got, you know, Wolverine running around in yellow uh, spandex as Cyclops kind of jokes in, in the film. So, yeah, they really set out that, you know, this film, you know, they make mutants people and they make them like a part of society. And like you said, should they be taught by people? So by starting off that way, and and that's why a lot of people have divided it from Marvel over the years, because cause even though they've never been a part of like the MCU or anything, that's why a lot of people will still say to this day, well, I don't know if you can do mutants in the MCU because they seem such a different world because you have to have a world in which mutants are... A, a political problem and a part of society and how can you have superheroes running around which people are fine with but people are are against mutants which like i said is something that they conflict with in in the comics etc so i mean in the comics as well though they they do occasionally cross over with like the avengers and stuff but for the most part they pretty much stick to themselves the x-men it's usually uh, only wolverine that just goes walkabouts a lot more often <laughs> yeah I want to be in the Avengers now, that, that kind of thing. What what did you think watching this for the first time, Craig? Yeah, thematically, it definitely is incredibly strong. I mean, for me, just the entire the entire basis of X Men tends to fall on that side anyway. So it was good to set it up like that. There were parts of it that made that made it hard for me to personally like get fully into the film, purely because I think. One of the hardest things about doing any film which basically resolves around the team is basically from what perspective are you going to be setting the story from? And I think early on, this film definitely has some of those problems in that it's it's hard to know exactly whose story going into the X-Men exactly we're following. Because obviously it sets out with the scenes in Auschwitz with Eric, uh, then goes to the conference center with, with Jean and Xavier, then focuses a lot on like rogue's problems with her story and then the fact that she finds wolverine so you think it's going to be from her perspective but then when he actually gets to the facility nope it's all framed around wolverine's experience and it's i found it a bit hard to follow in terms of okay so who whose initial story should be caring about and i think for an initial setup film like that that's kind of in i, I think that's kind of needed i think it gets a lot better when you get to say uh, x2 that that was just something that put me off and then I think one of the things that they definitely hadn't mastered was just the idea of like the exposition. Cause I think a lot of it just felt quite overwhelming at times, especially when you get to like discussions of like, say uh, Cerebro and like the basis of the, the school for gifted youngsters. But that said, I think that like I did gen, I did genuinely enjoy the film. I think like the performances just from my idea of the characters, pretty much all of them were there. Obviously I'm not going to say any bad words against like Hugh Jackman's Wolverine or, uh, Ian McKellen or uh, Patrick Stewart, anyone like anyone like that. I thought the perform- uh, performances were great. Yeah, the plot, the plot was weird. Come on, guys! <laughs> like, because uh, the the whole p- third act bit was a bit. Yeah, it is a bit weird. The third act. Yeah, because because yeah. the thing is, the way I was watching this, because the biggest allegory of X Men as a whole is the idea of oh, it's basically meant to be parallels for like. LGBT acceptance, right? So the idea of, you know, mutants often considered allegory to being gay. So when Magneto's big plan is, I'm just going to make the, all of the world mutants, I just saw this as the equivalent of, you've got the gay gene and you're going to dump it in the reservoir. 
And I was like, <laughs> also, the, the effect of that machine was god awful. Like, uh, that has not aged well as an effect. Some of the special effects are a bit dated in this film. Yeah, will, but, but what they know, did. It's 2000. Like. He always looked weird when he did that face, when he's doing that so weird teeth <laughs> thing. I always found that look strange. I'm like, what are you doing? I, I saw that and I was like, please tell me you get more dignified for <laughs> Because right now you're you're not coming off great. Um, thankfully, he did. Like I think some of the interactions he had with uh, with Wolverine, where he was saying, "Oh, if you were so honourable, you would be the one in the machine." Just the look he gave, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's that's great." As a starting point, yeah, I did have to give it some acceptance of the fact that it is a 2000s film. So like the technical effects, granted, what they do with Senator Kelly was amazing, if not incredibly horrifying. Yeah. Um, the person I was watching it with said is the idea of that machine to make them all like that? And I was like, no, I'm pretty sure it'd just be a different mutation with everyone. But it did kind of make me laugh to imagine that every would, everybody would be jelly water people. <laughs> I just like the idea of Magneto going, welcome, brothers. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I think for, well, I can't speak for you, David, but for, for me in that era, we were all just happy that we were getting an X-Men film. Because it was it was something that was unfathomable, like no way, um, and and it's even more like to your uh, point, Gray, where you're talking about whose story are we following? Like, because there's multiple storylines going on here. Um, to cram all that in a in a short film as well, it's not that long. It's like an hour and forty five, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, to cram all that in is a lot, and it's we've seen how it can be done well, and that's what the MCU does, which is do you know, individual movies before you do like a team-up movie. So you have to give it to them at 2000 to do a team-up movie. It was incredibly bold. Uh, but to echo on what, you're th- on what you also said is, I naturally feel that the X-Men don't particularly fit, that are not suited for the movie world. Mm. This is my personal thoughts. Mm. Um, and I, I have always thought X-Men are best, would be best as a TV show. You know, um, look what we've got with the animated show and obviously comics is serialized because you have the time and room to breathe with all these different characters. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, but I get it. And I know that if now that Disney have got it, they probably will do films because mm. it's big money makers. I get it. But personally, I think they, the stories of the X-Men lend themselves better to TV. Especially how different they are as well. You know, you look at a character like Rogue, which infamously is very different to what she's like in the comics and uh, the cartoon se- cartoon series. Yeah, I would say most of the characters, like, don't get me wrong, the characters were great for the films they were in. But yeah. there was some big differences between what we saw on screen and what we're reading in the comics. And when we are getting stab- you know, established to these characters, I remember, again, going back to that, like, scary element, like the rogue scene where she, like, kisses that guy. I remember, again, watching that, like, as a kid, like, oh, my God, what's going on here? You know, you felt like you were watching some sort of, like, horror film. or It was quite disturbing. I, I love, as well, how she does just immediately, like, yeah, I'm going on the run. <laughs> you know, you don't even see a scene of people, like, lambasting her for what's happened. She's just immediately on a truck, like, yep, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> All of well, yeah. a sudden, she's in Canada. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense, right? At the end of the day, it was, what, her fir- literally her first kiss, and she was, she's just like, well, what hope is there for me? I think as well, I think that scene in particular, I think, I'll try to keep this as small as possible because it involves the man, Brian Singer, but, because obviously with everything coming up about him recently, yeah. but I think it's, it's his sort of interpretation of maybe him when he had his first kiss as a homosexual man, mm. you know, and, and the sort of fear of what will happen to me 
and everything mm. sort of falling apart, family kicking you out, that sort of thing. I also think, I, we'll probably talk about this in a bit, but um, the scene in X2 where um, Iceman mm. is t- telling his parents that he's a mutant. Yeah. I, I, pr- I very much see that as singer, or like it's almost him coming out to his parents. Uh, as in what that sort of feeling would have been. I don't know. That's just my interpretation. No, that's, def- that's definitely true, given one line in that scene, which when we talk about X2 properly, I definitely want to talk about that one line. And just the fact that Ian McKellen, um, I think, has said in a lot of behind-the-scenes interviews that you know he felt an attachment to this project because as a gay man himself, he felt like a mutant. So a lot of the reason that Ian McKellen did the films was because of that. I remember watching the behind the scenes of like the first film and that was the first time I knew that Ian McKellen was gay. I was like, oh my God, what? So yeah, there's definitely a a theme of that running uh, throughout the films. Um, I think lastly about the first X-Men film, I think it's also interesting, Craig said about like the wire work, etc. I think that they do have some really uh, great action scenes. I love like the Mystique fight. When I was watching that back, I was like, this is really good for this time. You know, the especially the fact that they're playing off the two uh, two Wolverines, you know, they, they do that really well, especially considering that they keep trying to replicate that later on with other characters. So that was really great. That shot where she saw like kicks and flip you know changes in the air is like is a great shot but i do always have to think when i think of this film that line which is and if you guys can answer this question it's something that's boggled me for years is do you know what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning same thing as everything else (laughs) (laughs) i always find that such a weird line now we'll now move on to the next part of the trilogy uh, which is also called like X Men Two, X Men United, but I think original X Two X Men United, uh, but originally it was called X Two. Uh, it was released in two thousand and three, and like we mentioned, it's a lot longer than the first film. It's two hours and fourteen minutes. Uh, you got pretty much the same cast as all returning. You got Brian Singer, which is also back uh, directing, and then you got some new additions with Brian Cox as William Stryker. You got Alan Cumming as Nightcrawler, and you've also got Aaron Stanford as Pyro. Uh, and then you've also got, of course, Rebecca Romaine is returned as Mystique as well. So, yeah, this is like the longest of, of those uh, trilogy of films and uh, very revered by a lot of comic book fans up until certain films started coming out. You know, a lot of people w- would hail this as one of the best uh, comic book adaptations that were out there and I know that again a lot of my memories for these films the X-Men first film I did think a lot back to you know the this first scene with Magneto uh, in the concentration camp and like Rogue but a lot of my thoughts do go back to this original film where you've got that opening with Nightcrawler you've got yeah a lot of mystique in this film I felt that in the first film it's just the the infiltration of the mansion and everything is only just setting up for the the greater you know um, transformation she's going to make in in the second film and and it does perfectly pick up from that that first film i think especially if you are watching them one after another it does just pick straight up from the last one and i love the detail as well that they still stick to mystique as saint kelly and seeing hit well obviously he's not around anymore but it's fun to see his complete flip as, as a person then because obviously you know that it's not him, it's, it's Mystique. So it, it's fun to see him sort of defending the school and and Stryker picking him up on, oh, you know, you, you were 
for the the registration act he was like ah yes you know uh perhaps be- best to uh change change my mind on that one etc so yeah it does really pick up well from from the first film is one of the first things that stood out to me you know what what, what was some of your first thoughts about this one yeah i mean very much like a lot of people i hold this movie quite high up um to this day i still think it's you know i'd probably say top 20 comic book movies i'd say it's definitely up there with some of the best ones ever made um the reason for this is because this does what every good sequel should do is that it takes all the themes the premise of the first one and expands on it in new and interesting ways more you know the story gets a bit more complex you have much more character development in the good way so yeah this is just phenomenal film you know the action scenes are tight i mean like you mentioned that opening scene of a nightcrawler attacking the white house is still you know i remember what just watching it for the for this rewatching the movies and i'm just like man this is such a good scene the choreography the music you know the, the visual effects for 2003 for nightcrawler to be doing that you know i remember see, i actually this one i saw in the cinema i remember seeing this in the cinema losing my mind because it's something we'd never really seen before um so yeah, uh, and then you know, just it, this um, it also adapts. So I say adapts, semi adapts uh, a really famous story. Uh, God loves uh, man kills, an X Men story, which is you know um, the X Men having to team up with Magneto to save Charles uh, against William Stryker and all that. Uh, and they took liberties and you know did did different things, but they did it for the for the movie world, and it just killed man. Everything about this movie is killer. What was it? Uh, Brian Cox as William Stryker is phenomenal. Like you just, and again, I go back to what I was saying. Like he's just a guy. He's just a guy, and he's just a guy with an agenda. Uh, but sometimes those are the most people you should be scared of. There's still, at times, there's still some questionable wire work, some clunky dialogue at times. But you know what? It's very minor compared to how much good is in this film. Yeah, I've got to agree. I thought this. I thought this film was great. I think for me, one of the things I enjoyed most about this film was that it's the first time we've seen uh, Magneto in an incredibly vulnerable situation. So the fact that he's in that plastic prison and being dominated by Stryker and being given the the mind control serum, which in and of itself is also a really dark concept. I think one of the darkest things we generally get from X-Men, the fact that literally this this military leader is using his own son as as a generator of just mind-controlling juice. Yeah. And just seeing the state that Jason is in is just, just heartbreaking. He's very scary. <laughs> yeah, that's steer, man. And that scene where X, uh, Xavier sort of says, you know, William, this is your son. And he's like, my son is dead, Charles. And again, all of that, you know, really sticks with you. Yeah. But for me, one of the things I actually enjoyed, which we didn't get in the first one, and I think becomes quite, prevalent about why Magneto works so well as a character. It's just this divide between his his ideology with the the, the Brotherhood of Mutants versus the X-Men. Because mm. one of the, one of my favorite scenes, even though it's a small scene, is where he's first where he's first talking to Pyro and basically saying like basically just saying like we don't you know we just we encourage you to use your powers. We don't we don't like holding people back. <laughs> you are a god amongst insects. <laughs> oh yeah, you're a god amongst insects. Don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. Yes. Just the look he then gives to Mystique is just like mm. as if it's like <laughs> I think we got another one. <laughs> just 
But oh yeah, I mean, he had some re- beautifully campy moments. The fact that they also had a callback to one of the like pivotal twists of the first one, where it's just like, yet again, you think it's all about you, Wolverine. <laughs> I just, I just love that. I just love that stuff. But and also, I love it when him and Mystique are laughing at Rogue, and they're like, "We love what you've done with your hair." <laughs> it's, it's so like bitchy. <laughs> well, that's incredibly cruel, considering they did that to her hair. It, exactly. Yes, yeah, so that's what I love about it. Yeah, I just like. Uh, I'm not sure if I love or hate that because I'm just like, but you're also meant to be standing up for mutants and you're laughing about how you deformed one of them. Thanks, guys. <laughs> but that's what I'm just generally wanting to see more with the fact that because these factions have basically the same goal in life, but just such different ways of going about it, it's nice to see those differences. So the fact that they use, even though there's more of like pyro sort of personality I would have liked to have seen rather than just absolute arsehole in terms of actually building up why he wants to leave the X-Men and join the Brotherhood. I do think that they do it quite nicely and subtly in the ways in which that he's trying to show off his powers and he's physically getting shut down. So you have that scene in the museum where like uh, Xavier freezes everyone and basically gets him out there. You have Rogue stealing his power where he's literally just firebombing the police. Which, yeah. How the hell does some of those policemen survive those hits? They're literally being forced back with like 20 foot pillars of fire. And then they come saw, up with, like, what, just a charred face? I saw that when he comes up over the hedge. Yeah. He's pointing the gun at us. I, 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 I thought the same thing. I was like, how are you not dead? Like, you should be burnt to a crisp. To be fair, the last stand seems to answer that when they go onto the lorry where Juggernaut is being kept, and there's literally one of them, like, stop there, Pyro just shoots flames at him and he's just gone there's just nothing left like i was just like is there even ash <laughs> it's just disappeared <laughs> i was just like oh is that how much uh, magneto has powered you up yeah. <laughs> you have learned how to burn human skin <laughs> but yeah i also think i also think all of the stuff about uh, wolverine's backstory even if it does pay off in a very unsatisfying way in a different film Mm. Um, was really good, and I think the flashback scenes, like the the adamant uh, adamantium transfusions, and just all of those scenes, were incredibly gripping. And I found myself like just really buying into that like aspect of the uh, aspect of the story, because I think it, I think in X two they definitely decided a lot more that okay, so we're gonna basically have like two central stories, and I think those two central stories sort of worked quite well off each other. It was just a genuinely good film. I also think that they've massively improved the effects from the first one. Jake, what you said about the dodgy wire work. Do you want to know my favourite dodgy wire work in that film? Because I Which point, I, was that? I noticed it and I was just like, I'm going to now count to see how many times this happens. Is it the one in the mansion? Uh, it's, it's, no, it's actually in the White House where it's uh, night, uh, Nightcrawler's slow motion of all the guards. But they all do a very specific flip where they just get kicked and then they all fly backwards. I just loop over. Yeah. I'm just like, how many of them are going to go over in the exact same way? Like, they're not even being kicked in the same position. Like, someone would get kicked in the leg, flip backwards. I'm just like, stop it, guys. It was, it was very, it felt very reactionary to sort of Matrix, you know, and, and in a way, it was also, it was kind of like a precursor to the kitchen breakout scene in Days of Future Past even though you haven't got the so high flying kicks and stuff, the way it sort of goes around the room in the circle, I was like, oh, this is kind of like singer getting ready for that scene. So a lot of the cinematography techniques are the same. Like, if you yeah. rewatch those scenes together, like you see, you're like, oh, yeah, I can see what Singer's trying to do there. Like, yeah. Now that family scene, the coming out as a mutants. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely 
allegory to uh, to coming out to your parents. But just, I just love the fact that they decided to make it so obvious by putting in the one line of, so, have you considered not being a mutant? Yeah, like that, that's the, that's the like biggest allegory to that that was at the point where brian singer was winking at the camera sort yeah of thing, right? at which point all of the audience either the audience are going like haha i get it i i get it and everyone else is just going like yes we got it <laughs> one of the biggest stars of that scene is probably the cat just the fact that like not only does the cat like lick lick wolverine's claws but then they felt that like when she freezes that when the tea gets frozen and she puts it on the saucer they had to have the cat like come up and lick the like frozen tea for some reason (laughs) but i i also love because when uh bobby etc then go onto the jet and and go away and bobby looks back and sees his family in the window (laughs) i was i looked specifically to see if the mum was holding the cat because i was like i would laugh if she's literally just there whole i was like how much do you love this cat she's there but she she doesn't hold the cat unfortunately but what's great about x2 is that it's full of iconic moments and you know like we've said we've mentioned certain scenes there i think the the school attack scene is really memorable i and i think again it's a great way of being like right we got all these mutant characters we got a school of them but we can't show all of them so let's at least like show off some of them in this scene so we get a bit of colossus it's an, it's enough to please fans you get you know the siren girl which you know is, is quite a fun moment it's it's kind of what Brian Singer does well with powers, again, is that it's, they're kind of like booby traps. You know, everyone in the mansion is affected by this moment. And it shows, again, how mutants with lower level powers can still sort of play an element to, like, the fight or to, to the story. And, you know, the plastic prison breakout is just iconic. That is amazing. Just <laughs> Great scene. Hands down, best scene of the film. From now on, I just want all my entrances in rooms just to be on like a silver dish for my like <laughs> arms up. <laughs> yeah, because I I remember I remember seeing the scene. I guess I think I watched like a Watch Mojo list of like the top ten most brutal things Magneto has done, and and the moment where he draws the iron from the guard's blood mm. is on that list. So I remember that scene, but I didn't remember mo- much of the carnage after that. So obviously, yeah. him pulling out the iron is just really really gross but in a good way but then when he's literally just having those like those basic bullets flying around just ricocheting everywhere i was like jesus christ this is amazing one interesting uh aspect i liked you know you mentioned earlier jake about like you know certain comic book storylines that they adapt but i do like as well when they're able to put in these extra layers to the film so when Magneto is in prison, he's reading a book. I was sort of looking at the book like, oh, this is, you know, obviously some sort of Easter egg. What's he reading? And it's The Once and Future King. And then at the end of the film, Xavier's like, have you ever, you know, read a book called The Once and Future King? I was like, oh, so they're, you know, they're mentioning the same book. So again, when I looked up, looked it up um, and saw, like, saw people talking about, like, why this is um, a book that they use, I think, again, it's, it's really cool that they include it. So uh, for people who don't know, it's, pretty much the definitive version of the Arthurian legends, so King Arthur, Merlin, that kind of stuff. So, like, this person on Reddit says that basically uh, the story centres around King Arthur. In it, King Arthur's adversary in the end is Lancelot, who was once his closest friend. So the story is particularly appropriate for Xavier and Magneto, who, you know, are the same relationship, you know, that they're then at odds. 
And then it says, but like it also dedicates a lot of pages to discussing war and how humans are the only species who wage war with each other. Uh, Arthur champions the idea that you shouldn't have power over people because you are stronger than them, similar to Professor X. So again, it's it's great that they're adding those sort of like extra layers and, you know, philosophical ideas to, to, to a superhero film. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... Throughout all the X-Men films, the original trilogies, a couple of the newer ones and like some of the Logan films, the thing that's kept, I think the glue of all these films has been the chemistry between Magneto and um, Professor X. Um, even The Last Stand, we'll get into that in a bit, I'm sure, but all that stuff between them is still fantastic in that film. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's one of my favourite elements as well of X2 and what I think is always good about like a great X-Men film in what we've seen so far. And I think that's what makes Magneto such an interesting character. And, and it's true what you said earlier, Jake, about, you know, is he, you know, a, strictly a villain? You know, I love how when, you know, they always use Magneto to twist and turn the table. So I love in X2 that it's such a perfect depiction of Magneto, which he does again in other films where he sees this situation and they kind of go with the whole storyline of like, oh, look, the villains are now on our side and we're teaming up kind of thing. But, you know, it, it's typical Magneto and he's like, I'm going to, you know, I'm personally offended at this. Humans are the ones that need to go and he changes the situation. So then it like works in his favor. And I love that element of the character. And I think that they pull that off really well. And it kind of just adds to the entire story because when I looked at what point the film is in where they're sort of where you've got past the the school stuff and uh, the stuff with Bobby, Bobby's family, you know, you've got like an hour and 15 minutes left. So it's pretty much like an hour long finale to that film. So, and I think that's what's great about it is they never, never lets up. It's constant momentum. Like Brian Singer and the writing team do a great job of just having it so that it's constantly, uh, I think like pre we had it in a previous episode where our guest Joe was talking about Indiana Jones and how the, um, Raiders of the Lost Ark is always just constantly like momentum and it's kind of the same with this film you you know he goes to visit Eric you know like and Logan's doing this and it's you immediately get introduced to Stryker and you you learn about you know the the serum like straight away so they put all these plot elements into position perfectly and then you see how things turn out how like Mystique gets Eric out of prison and how you know it, it all accumulates in like a fantastic way i think that they they do that really well is that they they set up each point in the film like really well and yeah it just makes for like just a completely satisfying you know momentous film that just keeps going and just keeps giving you these satisfying moments i think is is really to the film's credit i think you could see that the the end is maybe a bit too dragged out because there's so many elements that are happening but again i think it's still those elements of you know jason and the the iconic moments that make it great and again mystique like her changing to people it just makes really interesting scenes you know the fact that she can just transform into anybody and they have a lot of fun with that you know like when uh is it yeah lady deathstroke when she comes into the office and she's changed into the janitor and you're like of course that's just the perfect way to get out of that scenario it just you know so it, it, it's how they play with the elements and the powers and how they perfectly set it up to just be like, right, here's all the elements you need to know about. And it just immediately goes into that story. It, it never sort of like slows down or or alleviates from, from the main storyline, which I think is great. And I think what 
also works a lot better for that film than The Last Stand is the placement of the characters because we're talking about that momentum and how it just keeps going with action sequences. They really do a good job of going, this is happening because we've taken this character and put them in this place so you understand why they're not there. I kind of have to question who the hell was supposed to be looking after the school apart from just Logan when the school gets attacked. But again, it makes sense that you're like, you know, they they take out their strongest players. They take out Professor X and um, Cyclops, which again adds to the brilliance of Stryker's plan. So they're out of the equation. Gene and Storm are off um, finding Nightcrawler. And then that works for when they then rescue them at the the Bobby household. So again, it's it's that placement of characters which works like fantastically well as well. So the final film in the original trilogy then is X-Men The Last Stand. It was released in 2006, just a mere three years after X2. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, it's back to the original runtime of the uh, first X-Men. It's just an hour and 44 minutes. And here it's not directed by Brian Singer. It's directed by Brett Ratner, who has become a plague to many <laughs> fans throughout throughout the world. Uh, you've got, again, a lot of the uh, cast has all returned. You've still got Famke Janssen, Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart, uh, Hugh Jackman. And you've got new players such as Kelsey Grammer as Beast, Vinnie Jones as Juggernaut, <laughs> Ellen Page as Kitty Pride, and Ben Foster as Angel. So, yeah, uh, this is quite an infamous movie for really displeasing fans kind of again it's almost like the spider-man comparison again it's like they pissed off the fans first and then spider-man 3 came the next year uh and again coming off one of their their strongest films so there's there's quite a lot of uh, parallels between this this trilogy and and spider-man actually but yeah it's infamously divisive and not liked it has its moments it's all it's still plays well into the trilogy in the sense that you still got the same actors and all that kind of stuff you're not getting the whole sort of change of of uh, actors and storylines go missing they, they still make an attempt to sort of wrap things up but yeah there's quite a lot of elements that sort of rub people up the wrong way with this film especially the dark phoenix storyline which we sort of mentioned at the beginning so you know jake you you were mentioning before you know what 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 do you think is the biggest sort of problem with with the last stand there's there's a lot of problems with this film. Um, the the biggest one for me is the Dark Phoenix element. That whole storyline, it, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work at all. There's you don't feel the stakes or the fear or the power behind her. Nothing. You don't you don't really feel any of that. And it's funny because rewatching these films, and I had a you know I had a certain sort of image in my head of what I thought about The Last Stand because I hadn't seen it in such a long time. Because yeah. unlike the first two, it's not one I rewatch. You know, I can't remember. I can't actually remember the last time I watched this one. So after this rewatch, you know, I will say it's not terrible. It's definitely not terrible. There is some good moments in this film. The first sort of 10, 15 minutes, I was like, this is actually a decent film. You know, we're getting into it. Uh, we introduce Beast, which, you know, to Craig, finally we get this guy. Uh, we we introduced the story of the cure uh, and how that and how Rogue's feeling about that. So these are all really interesting story plot lines on, on a thematic level as well. It's really interesting because it goes in this movie. I think they 
while the other movies they dealt with thematically with like racism, uh, um, homophobia and all that stuff. This one I almost felt was more an ode to the Jewish struggle where while uh, the Jewish community, they've been discriminated not because of what they look like, but because of what they are on the inside. Uh, And for a lot of these mutants, you start to see them question these things of like, you know, I'm being discriminated because of what's inside of me, not because of what I look like. And if the opportunity was to change that, I maybe possibly could do that. So it's really interesting. Um, But they just sort of shoehorn that, like they just uh, shoehorn the Dark Phoenix storyline in there with that. And I think you just kind of, you could have told a much more cohesive storyline with just that. That would have been perfect, I thought. But with the whole Dark Phoenix thing, they start, I think they just focused way too much on the action as well. Um, like that whole third act, I just thought, well, this would have cost a lot of money, this third act. I can see where the most of the budget went. And it shows in the story. Um, and some of the, and the character development as well was really, it's interesting, Summer, because like, you know, the thought of Professor X giving the school to Storm, like I wasn't that, where did that come from? Like there were, in the previous films, there's no indication of Storm you know, leading the school. Like, yeah, she's a teacher, but you always thought that would have been maybe uh, Cyclops or Jean, you know, uh, but never Storm. So I'm not too sure where that came from. The use of Cyclops, as we mentioned in the second film, this one, they just, I think it's an ultimate disrespect to Cyclops, where he pretty much, you just see him in the opening minutes moping, and then he goes and gets killed by Jean, the resurrected Jean. So yeah, it's, you know, this film had potential, you know, like I said, the first 15 minutes are decent, but it just races, of course, after that. Um, but, you know, Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen still kill it in this movie. And they, again, they like to see how far can we push Magneto's powers? And you see him lifting up at a suspension bridge. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it is what it is. Again, I don't think I'll be re- revisiting this one anytime soon. Correction, though, wasn't that the Golden Gate Bridge? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I th- well, Jake just said a suspension bridge, I suppose. Which yeah, I know. True. I just wanted to. I just wanted to <laughs> magnify because I. I don't want it compared to like the Clifton suspension bridge. Because <laughs> <laughs> somehow that image is just less. It's a bit impressive. bigger than that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, and and watching that scene again, it is surprising how much those effects hold up. You can tell that again, the budget was increased, and they saw cut corners in certain areas. But I think that they they definitely then go, well, we can't have too much happen in this bit because we're all putting our money into this bit. And I, I definitely think the the bridge scene is, is one of those moments because it visually looks great. And it was amazing that they were able to make that look real and, you know, it still stands up today. But yeah, I think it's just the fact that, like you said, Jake, is with the Dark Phoenix storyline, and I'd be interested in what you think as well about people who maybe aren't aware of that storyline because I think often some people can be maybe okay with it if they they don't know the storyline itself. I'm just going to give a hot take there. This yeah. is my hot take. The Dark Phoenix, mm. it's not it's it's okay. Yeah. Like there are, I think there's far far better X-Men stories out there. So the fact that Fox have tried this story twice mm. and and both times hasn't worked I'm just a bit like, give it a rest. Yeah. Like, I, 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 like, I don't see the fascination with this particular storyline. That's just me. But you know, they might have been better off just focusing on on the cure, or 
you know, the Phoenix again, I think that would have been too much of a, a diversion for what they had set up in the previous films. And obviously I know that they set up the Phoenix in the two other films as well. But that also is to the detriment of in this film is that she's kind of just in the background for then a lot of the moments, even though they dedicate moments to her at the same time, you know, the end fight is just her on the background and then she just comes in and spins some stuff up for the last 10 minutes and then goes. I also want to heavily contest how well they even set up Dark Phoenix for this film. Mm. Because I think in the first film is that, uh, it's that idea of if you use Cerebro, it's going to be quite dangerous for you. And then that basically sets up the idea of the power fluctuations in the second. But then in order for the actual Dark Phoenix storyline to work, they just throw so much lore at us that wasn't in any way sort of foreshadowed. So for example, the split personality things, that literally all comes in the, in, in the third film. There's nothing in X2 to suggest that she has like any form of split personality. It's just the idea of like, her powers getting stronger. And also... Yeah. There was only in the third film do they actually outright say, "Oh yeah, there's a there's a class system of mutants." Because I looked out for it in the other films and it just wasn't there. So all yeah. of a sudden it's just like, "Wait a minute, classes of mutants? What are you talking about?" It doesn't make sense that we should be that scared about the fact that she's a class five, given the fact that we own it's only now that we're being told about this, as opposed to if they alluded to it in the first film and said, you know, there are different classes of mutants. So for example, these powers would be considered this. So the fact that we then get out of nowhere, oh yeah, she's a class five, and we could go, whoa, as opposed to just what, oh yeah, you know this thing I told you about? Mm. Eh? Eh? Um, The thing is, all it needed was one scene in X2 where she maybe does something a bit dark and, you know, they snap her out of it sort of thing. That's all you needed. I think as well, The Last Stand to me feels a lot like a list of just things that they need to get done and do. It's like, you know, okay, uh, Brian Singh has gone on to do Superman and uh, James Marsden's going off with him to do that as well. So we need to kill off Cyclops, done. And then they're like, oh, we need to, you know, cut out some of the villains. Yeah, and let's just have uh, Raven get shot and then Magneto's kind of cool with that. And, you know, like, you know, that's her out of the picture. And they kind of just gradually take out, you know, like they're like, okay, Xavier dies. That takes him out of the picture. So it just feels like they're just cutting back each character. And like you said, they with Rogue, they replace her with, you know, with Kitty, which again would be kind of understandable, even if Kitty had a bigger role in the film. I know she does kind of have like a big part of the action and that kind of stuff. But it's not like she has a big storyline or anything. So again, it, it just feels like a checklist of things that they needed to get done. And I just find it bizarre as well how many times this film, to the credit of X2, which manages to jump from scene to sequence really well, this film tries to do it, but just completely fails. Like, they they turn up at Jean's house just suddenly. Like, you know, X is like, I know where she is. And they're just there. And you're like, why, though? Like, I know we had the opening scene where she's there, but at least, you know, to the credit of Dark Phoenix, they did have the whole thing with her father and why she was at her house. Whereas in this film, it's just completely no reason and the same thing happens with wolverine he just suddenly appears in the camp where they're at and is suddenly like fighting off this guy with the you know the spike arms it's like well where did this come from and when he comes back storm's like oh you're back yeah <laughs> yeah exactly. okay like i actually i do like this film i mean yeah it's not it's not great i don't hate it with the same i, I don't hate it with the same sort of vigor that other people do Yes, the Dark Phoenix stuff doesn't work. I also think there are aspects of the performance, especially where she gets really spacey with the second personality, where things just get a bit unrealistic. Yeah. But the Cure stuff, I did find I, I did find interesting enough, and I, I did like the politics of that. And I think that's where uh, Beast's character 
uh, really came through. The fact that he had to have scenes where just like, oh, look, I'm, I'm quitting from the cabinet because policy is being made behind my back. You weaponize the cure. And the fact that the military were doing things like that. Yeah, what I'm surprised about Magneto just discarding Mystique is the fact that given the fact he was using the cure to, you know, mobilize mutants, I'm surprised he didn't bring her alongside to say like, this is what they've done to Mystique. Look, mm. l- look at her. She used to be like, she used to be so proud of her of her mutant ways now they've taken that from her there's yeah. a lot they could and he was just like oh you used to be beautiful once and just walk off it's like what are you doing yeah also just the sort of uh what i like to call the team rocket defense which is that she's got literally loads of intel on you mate why are you literally going <laughs> eh because she then does exactly what she I would expect anyone in that situation to do. Be like, screw you, authorities, here's everything you need to take him down. <laughs> the, reason that's called the, the reason that's called the Team Rocket defense is because there's a theory about, in Pokemon, that's why Giovanni hasn't fired the most incompetent agents, team uh, Jesse and Jane, because they just have too much info on him that like they would just go to the authorities and take him down. <laughs> I would have liked to have seen more of Rogue, uh, Rogue storyline because I think while there were really interesting elements with the cure and how other agents would use it, I think that it would have been nice if we had more of the actual mutant debate of should this be something I take? Because I think we get like only a handful of scenes with Rogue and I think the rest is meant to be assumed from stuff we've seen in the past. Because her excite, I-, I love the amount of excitement she had when she first heard about the cure. The fact she's rushing in just like, is, is it true? Like, is there actually a cure? And then the rest of it is literally based around the idea of she just sees what Bobby and Kitty together and she's like, well, that's what I want. I'm just going to go. But then I did like that scene with her and Wolverine where he basically like, just make sure it's something that you want to do. I thought that was really good. I just wanted to see more actual discussion and conflict about how much, because let's face it, a lot of the X-Men are quite privileged with their mutations. So I thought it was a bit rich that Storm was, you know, telling someone who literally all she wants is to be touched by another person. Yeah. Uh, saying, like, there's nothing that needs curing when Storm's power is what? Being able to summon lightning bolts and yeah. controlling the weather, a.k.a. a really kick-ass cool mutant <laughs> mutation. It's just, like, I just think of it as that sort of, you know that, like, dog meme that's going around? One of them's a, you know, really powerful, uh, sort of muscular dog and just has like, all of these cool qualities. And then the other one's a really wimpy crying one. That's basically Storm and Rogue in that scene. <laughs> Storm can summon lightning like uh, hurricanes. And the other one is just, I want a hug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you want to know what my absolute favorite edition of this film is, though? What's that? Juggernaut. <laughs> I, I just as much as as much as people no. <laughs> as much as people shouldn't like Vinnie Jones because he's done some really aggressive questionable things in the past I did love the absolute stupidity of that character I just go back to that scene with Kitty Pride. I'm the juggernaut bitch yeah when I read it out when we were saying about the cast of it, it just sounds so weird to say, you know, Vinnie Jones as Juggernaut. But one of my favourite elements of it as well is the the music. I think John Powell does an amazing job at the music of this film. That's one of my favourite elements is I think sometimes the music can elevate like the drama or certain films. And I think that this is a case of that. I love the Phoenix theme that he gives this. The entire music that plays when she kills Xavier and when... Wolverine sort of kills her at the end I think is fantastic it's one of the most like listened to pieces of music I've, I've heard from a film which is again is bizarre because it's from like a 
quite flawed film, but I think that that Phoenix theme is really, really good. Like we said, it's got its moments. I think that there are some good elements to it. I think, like you said, it would be better if they just focused on the cure or even made it longer. It is just weird that this is an hour and 44 minutes where most people are pretty accepting of this is the final chapter. I expect it to be a bit more meaty and a bit longer. And again, I'm glad we got to the stage now in which we've had Endgame, which was literally like, you know, three and a half hours long or however long it was, etc. So, you know, people have become more accepting of like bigger run times, which I think is really good. I mean, the continuity of this whole franchise is a bit wishy-washy. But, um, yeah, but that thing is that. But the thing is that is very X-Men because the comics are exactly the same. Yep. Well, on that note, Jake, is there any quick recommendations you have for comics to read in in the X-Men universe? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm gonna sort of. I, I sort of was thinking about what are like the big ones that people should read, especially if they're a fan of the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my favorite run on X-Men is Chris Claremont's run. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, but before that, start off with Giant Size X-Men issue number one by Len Wein. Uh, this was basically the, in 1975, this was basically the introduction of what we know the X-Men team now um, with Colossus and Storm and Wolverine and all that. Then go straight into Chris Claremont's run, where in his run you've got, you know, the, not my favorite, but he is a very popular Dark Phoenix storyline as well as uh, Days of Future Past. Check that out. Um, X2, as I mentioned earlier, was really inspired by uh, God Loves, Man Kills. Really good story, that one. Check that one out. But my personal favorite, my, it's, it's a big one, and it's a whole saga, but it's the Age of Apocalypse um, saga. Um, you can buy this huge omnibus on Amazon or any. Or go to your local comic book store, or they'll be able to order it for you. It's like, I don't know, like 60 to 80 quid, but it's a hefty thing. And it's got the full run in there of every single issue. Uh, it's pretty impactful in comics history because that was the time where they were like, we're going to stop all X-Men comics for this huge event. So um, I was really excited for the film Apocalypse because of this. But maybe what, maybe eventually we'll do a, a beginnings trilogy X-Men show. Yeah, definitely. And I think... And it's interesting where you were saying about the human characters being good villains because, you know, Apocalypse is one of those exceptions of having like a big mutant character, which I think they've yet to really do in the films successfully have like a big mutant villain rather than like humans. You've also got um, Mr. Sinister. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, go check those out then. Uh, lastly, we will go to our segment, which is the movie vault, discussing what we've discussed today to see what we think should go into our vault of movies to be encapsulated for all time for our friend, the film god. If, if there was just the one film of this trilogy, what would you guys pick? X2. It's got to be. Yeah, I think I, I was, I was going to go in there saying I think it's going to be X2, but I, was like, I didn't want to put words in your guys' mouths. But yeah, I think it's, it's a consensus that that... I think it's interesting as well. I don't know what you guys think, that you could again i don't know if i can't remember if i did but it might be because i i did watch it first but i think you can watch x2 without having seen x-men x-men one yeah that's what a so. that's what a, a good a good film part of any franchise should do you should yeah. be able to watch it with i mean all good sequels i think do like the dark knight you can watch that without watching batman begins uh, same goes for x2 and same goes for spider-man 2 yeah and i think as long as you know who the characters are because not even the first x-men film goes this is cyclops this is where he began or anything so it's not like they're giving you background on on characters etc yeah x2 i think 
definitely the one. But I have to give you, you have to give the first X Men a lot of credit for being so bold at the time. Yeah, definitely. I think it started the trend really well. It set the precedent and the tone. But I think X Two is just like I said. If you were to pick one, then I think it's just that that one has got all the great elements of X X Men One but then at a bigger stakes and a bigger bigger level. Going into the movie vault this week then is X2 or X2 X-Men United, which like I said, I think might just be because people didn't know it was an X-Men film, so they sort of retitled it in later years. Uh, but yeah, into the movie vault we go. And yeah, let us know at home what you think. Are there any uh, parts of the X-Men films that we didn't mention? Are you big fans of the future ones? And what would you like to see in a future X-Men film as well? Let us know on our social medias. Right, endgame time. So this one's a bit different in that we're actually going to have a pre-game, which will basically determine some of the criteria for the actual game itself. So basically, in this pre-game, you guys are going to be creating your own X-Men team. Basically, what I want you to do is I want you to say, uh, message me privately on Zoom, free X-Men, uh, or sorry, uh, mutants within the X-Men universe that you want on your team. Okay, that's easy. Uh, neither of you have any, uh, any overlaps, so you get your choices. So Jake has chosen that he wants Magneto, uh, Nightcrawler and Storm. David wants Mystique, Gambit, and Emma Frost. Channing Tatum. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, casually talk, uh, talk me through like your decision, uh, your needs for these choices. So we'll start with Jake. So why did you want these guys? Magneto is for obvious reasons. He's just my favorite Marvel villain in general. Uh, I think obviously his power set is in, he's one of the most powerful mutants. Uh, and he's also a great leader, incredibly aspiring to the who people want to listen to him. So yeah, he's up there. Nightcrawler, because it's just handy to have somebody disappear and reappear at will, uh, can get people at the right opportunities. And Storm, you know, it's in the name, Storm. When, if you have someone that can control the weather, you know, the environment is a huge... Um, benefit when you're fighting a battle so if you control the environment you definitely have the upper hand okay excellent uh david why did you want these particular characters yeah again i think uh i could have put a teleporter in there if i was it probably would have been like blink or something i think she's quite cool but i just felt that emma frost you know having a, a telepath is really useful i think it gives you that element of like what you said with magneto and xavier uh gambit is kind of like your sort of muscle in that like he's got you know ex an explosive power with a lot of like energy behind it so it can get out of sort of like more physical situations and again mystique is it just works in so many situations in which you can you know go undercover places and she's also like a great acrobat you know she has that a great moment in X2 in which she's literally like disguised as Wolverine and then manages to flip kick like an entire group of people around her. So yeah, it, it I think she, she's just a really useful power to have and, and one that a lot of people in real life I think would like to have. Excellent choices from both. Uh, one quality I think is missing from both your teams is that we don't have any B characters we're trying to get up to status. So we're going to create some. 
So welcome to the actual end game, which is X-Men presents the H-Men versus the O-Men. <laughs> so basically what's going to happen is that I have some characteristics of particular mutants that I would like you to come up with a name for that character. So what, I, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the characteristics and basically you can come up with whatever name you want. There may be some tricks that I may present you with before them. But the trick is you're only going to have 30 seconds to do this. So as you can see in front of us, we have the countdown clock. So basically, I'm going to give you the criteria. And so basically, whichever name that I prefer, you win that character for your team. And basically, the idea is that at the end of the game, the, the, the person who has the best team in my eyes wins the end game. Does that make sense to everyone? Yes. I think so, yeah. Cool. So, are you ready for the first characteristics you'll be fighting for? Yes. Yes. Cool. So, so you have someone who is basically viewed as... Uh, their, their visual look is someone very humanistic. However, you notice that there's something particularly off with their fingernails. Their fingernails seem to be a bit larger and a bit more metallic than usual. What you then find is when you quiz them on this is that they have the ability to grow out their fingernails more and they basically become essentially USB ports, which have the ability to plug into anything that has a USB port and they have the ability to access any technology that you can basically plug yourself into. And they also seem to inexplicably inexplicably be able to generate Wi-Fi. So we're just giving you a name for them, yeah? Yeah. Give, so you basically give me a name. Your time starts now. Expect that four more times, everyone. <laughs> Unfortunately, none of you could see the dancing that I was going for. So I think we'll start with David. So David has come up with the name Porter. <laughs> so so creative. <laughs> so basically, USB port Porter. They also clean up after they're done. <laughs> yeah. What, what gender do you imagine this character to be? Well, I'm I was... A porter, I imagine a guy. But... I know, I, I was, but the nail thing was, I was tempted to go for port. <laughs> I didn't make, I didn't specify a gender for this one, so I'm happy to go either way. Jake, what did you come up with? Uh, I've got Chrome Tech. Okay, what's the thing behind uh, Chrome Tech? Uh, chrome, because you said she's got like silver nails. Uh, uh, and and then also tech because obviously she's plugging into the internet. But a play on words is Chrome. She's linked into Google Chrome. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Uh, and and I'm going to go with a female. Okay, so you specifically want Chrome Tech to be a woman. Yeah. Okay, so this is interesting. On the one on the one hand, I think there's a lot of detail behind Chrome Tech, and I think there's a lot of like play on words, which is quite good. Uh, but I also kind of like the simplicity and stupidity of just Porter. Um, 
I think in this situation, because of the detail, I'm going to award the Wi-Fi character to the H-Men. So that's so they are joining your team, Jake. Detail number two. So specifically, this is a fe- uh, this is a female character, a female character with a large variety of colors in her hair. Her special ability is that her eyes uh, have the ability to change color, and when she does, she can sense different emotions from different people, specifically related to the type of aura that she uh, that those people give off. So. She can see when someone you know, can sense particular happiness based on aura, sadness. Uh, but particularly, she has one color. Is when her eyes go pink, she can see characters' sexual attractions to other characters and has the ability to manipulate them. So she can stop someone from lusting after someone else and, and vice versa if she wishes. So that's the character that you need to name. What I also love is that your faces are not giving anything away. Okay, so we'll start with Jake this time. So Jake has gone for uh, silent aura. As soon as you said aura, yeah, that she like she like sort of comes up, you know, in feels their aura sort of thing. I was just like, yeah, I'll use that as the name. And then silent, just because she's like an assassin, you'll never see her coming. Okay, so is this basically just meant to be like all one name or is it sort of like a Jean Grey situation and her first name is Silent? No, this is her X-Men name. Her mutant name. Mutant name, yep. Cool. And David has gone for Rango. (laughs) Rango. (laughs) Right, go on. Well, yeah, I wasn't going for like a Ringo or anything like that, but originally I just thought you said like different coloured hair. I thought like rainbow. I thought, is that just too obvious? So I thought something a bit more action-y, so that's why I put like a capital G, so that it's, the idea is that she can kind of be like a symbol to like LGBT, as we've said before, which the X-Men can often do, uh, with like her hair and seeing the sexual uh, feelings of people and uh, emotions. So I thought that that would sort of go with that, with the whole rainbow vibe. She could also be kind of like Jubilee in that she has like pretty much the same name as her x-men name so she could be called like Raina or something like that uh but then the go would just be like said you know she she's a go-to she sort of goes to their emotions she sees it immediately that kind of thing so this basically comes down to essentially the type of era i can imagine the character in because silent aura is definitely a uh a very straight name and i think a sort of you'd expect this ca- this character in the sort of you know like more serious-esque nature of the of like the ask men well ringo is definitely one where like say you could imagine it from like the the opening of the era jake as much as your name definitely makes sense i think david's won this one just because... <laughs> uh, yeah he's just caught me oh, off give, guard give, give, yeah, give it so, to david on this one yeah so david has won ringo i did i was tempted to go for something with uh, the aura but then i thought storm is called Storm's called Aurora, so I thought you don't want to get mixed up. Yeah, but why go of all the uh, all the words that rhyme with bow? <laughs> Just okay. So 
Characteristic three. This is where I'm putting in a little caveat. I will write down one name that I predict one of you may say. If you say this name, you automatically lose. <laughs> you automatically lose the character, no matter, e even if like the other one happens to be something horrendously offensive to me, like, I don't know, uh, Ribena sucks or some, something like that. <laughs> so I'll write down the name with, this, with these characteristics, and if you say it, you automatically lose. Okay? Mm -hmm. This guy, and it definitely is a guy, uh, a man would say, he has, very, he has a very sporty outlook, he, very muscular. Uh, I think some people consider himself a, a champion of karate. Uh, one of his abilities is that, as well as that physical strength, he has the ability to shoot fire specifically from his feet. So he can use this propulsion to go flying uh, up into the sky, basically can basically fly under the great sun. I think some people have jokingly called him champion of the sun. The other thing is that he's a very personable person, loves friendship. Yeah, and he actually does have a nemesis. This one does have a nemesis for you to work with, um, specifically called uh, the Nightman. So that's everything you need to know. Anything I need to clarify? Or are you happy with those descriptions? So you're saying we're not supposed to come up with a name for that? No, you, want, you do want to come up with your own name, but if you come up with the name that I've written, you lose. Okay. Okay, your time starts now. <laughs> Okay, so I can thankfully say that neither of you have gone for the name that I wrote, which was David. I think you might know what the name is, by the way. I don't. I, I thought it was what actually Jake has put, so now you said that they're not. No, so both no, both of those names are eligible. Is it like Zuko or something? <laughs> no, the name I didn't want you to write was Dayman. Ah, right, yeah. Yeah, when you mentioned the Nightman thing, I did think that, but it was just, you, you, you preference so much about going close to the sun and stuff, I was like... Yeah, because the lyric, so basically, this is an It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia reference. Yeah. Uh, the song Dayman, fighter of the Nightman, champion yeah. of the sun, you're a master of karate and friendship for everyone. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, I forgot about the karate thing. So, let's start with David. So, David has gone for Kick Pack. I imagine this is just mainly in reference to the fact that he, he has karate and he can fire... Uh, from his feet yeah so uh originally i did pretty much think i'm glad that we didn't have the exact same answer but i was worried that it was the name that uh you had gone for but yeah this one i just saw it's a fun you know kick back is also a phrase you know so if he is like into karate and then you've also got jetpack as you said that he can use that to like fly up into the sun so i just thought it's a, it's a way of uh, you know combining jetpack and kick back and fun play on words it is a fun play on words, but but Jake Icarus, come on, that's that's amazing. <laughs> I thought I'd go for it. Yeah. Well, did you actually think Icarus was the right answer, as in the the answer that would get you disqualified? I thought it possibly could be. Yeah, I I thought so as well. I I thought it would be so obvious that Craig's not going to use it. 
See, I thought he could because he likes Bastille and they have a song called Icarus as well. So. <laughs> yeah. The thing with Icarus, though, is that I always, asso- uh, I always associate him with, like, you know, the, the physical wings rather than the actual flying into the sun. But yeah. even then, because of the amount I said about the sun, I think I am giving it to Icarus because I think that works incredibly well. Yeah. Uh, and hell, even if his costume, he wants to have, you know, he wants to have something that looks like wings, he could. Uh, it's not my decision to make. But yeah, so Icarus joins the H-Men. Kind of fits in with like, you know, you've got Darwin and, you know, other characters who have names. Yeah, like exactly. So like, because so, some, uh, some characters do have that sort of mythological link like that. So I think that's great. Uh, number four. Again, if you come up with the name that I've written, you lose this character. From a relatively young teenage, from his young teenage life, he started developing sort of scales across his body. As he grew, these scales got thicker and harder uh, to the point that it resembles wood. So he's growing sort of wooden scales across his body. As he gets older into about his 20s, more plants sort of grow off him as well, uh, to the point that he has the ability to extend it out uh, I could basically grow it like branches and like some leaves start to form to the point that he has to basically shave it like anyone would necessarily shave their arms or their legs. Uh, but his main skill is that he has the toughness of a tree whilst also being able to expand uh, a lot of the vegetation around uh, around him. Those are the characteristics. Come up with your name now. <laughs> Okay, we'll start with Jake. Root King. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much in the name. He's the king of all roots and can control vegetation and trees and all sorts. Yeah. Uh, You are very lucky because I was incredibly close, but not the name that I put. Uh, So you're very lucky that that is is eligible. I just didn't know if anyone was going to be lazy and just go for Groot. So that's the name. I thought about it. (laughs) <laughs> I also thought Treebeard. What's that in relation to? Because both of you thought, thought it, or is it literally just because he could grow a beard like a tree? Uh, yeah, my thought was just kind of the Icarus line of logic. Because I thought of like, Icarus in the last, and I thought, well, I've done a lot of play on words, so Treebeard can still be, oh, it's relation to the Lord of the Rings character, which is the big talking tree. So everyone can be like, oh, yeah, he's cool and hip because he's referencing Tolkien. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, I just didn't think that there was many other like cool, cool words with like trees or plants in them. So again, just why not just reference like a cool tree character? Yeah, I think on that basis, in the same way I gave it to Icarus, I'm going to give this round to Treebeard. <laughs> what this also means is that we, for the final one, it basically makes it challenging because both of you currently have five members on your team. I will give the win to the person who wins this round. And this, I think, is the most challenging because this round is basically just a game of countdown. <laughs> basically, I'm not going to give you the descriptions of your mutants. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to get nine letters that you can use to make the name of your character. So I'll give you 60 seconds this time to come up with both the name of your character 
and what their powers may be. Right. So, uh, to decide who would choose the letters, I'm looking for a coin to flip. Oh, are you sure you don't want the Google coin flip this time, Gray? <laughs> so, I'll allow Jake to call it. Uh, heads or tails? Uh, I'll go heads. It is heads. So, would you like to choose the letters, or would you like David to do it? I'll choose letters. Okay, so, what do you want? Consonant. N? Vowel. A? Vowel. I? Uh, consonant. F? Vowel. E? Consonant. C? Consonant. L? Vowel. O? Consonant. D. So you don't have to use all nine letters, uh, but just promise me you're not just going to give me like a, you're not going to have a character just called do uh, like you try and be creative. <laughs> or what, or what this website has given us Claude. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I'm actually going to write down Claude. If you give me just Claude, you lose. <laughs> so like I said, I want the because I'm giving you 60 seconds for this one. I want the name of your character and what their powers might be. So you can be a bit more creative with this. And your marks get set. Go. So before we go to you, let's see some of the words you could have had. So you could have had nautical, fancied, follicin, celadon. Oh, celadon's a great one. Uh, confide, nailed, anodic, afield, alioid, indole, failed. <laughs> Why isn't Richie still on the podcast, David? Why? <laughs> okay, so... Falcon. <laughs> Fiance, I think would have been my favorite. Falcon. Oh no, but that says flacken. Flacken. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we'll start with David. So who is your character? Uh, like I've kind of broke down two names. I tried to deliberate between the two. <laughs> so yeah, I'm gonna go with Ilan, which is not really an, a word, but um, I've just gone with I L A N. And uh, I think it's just based off kind of like the train of thought with Icarus and Treebeard. So we can call him after Ilan Payne, the Game of Thrones character. And his power would be to uh, create a holographic axe at any time and will that he wanted to, to deal out his justice. And uh, yeah, then the idea would be that Ilan, like I said, would sound like a sort of medieval name. 
and uh, he would be the kind of muscle, this big muscle guy, but he's also got the axe there to sort of tear down walls and steal objects, that kind of thing. Okay, interesting. Uh, Jake, what do you have for us? Uh, <clears throat> mine is uh, not a word either. Uh, it is Confield. Uh, so C-O-N-F-I-E-L-D. Yep. Uh, and is, uh, So it's short for Connor Fielderson. Okay. Uh, and basically his powers come from uh, whenever he's near cornfields. Uh, so <laughs> okay. he has the power to have a deep connection to the corn and will lash out corn on the cobs at you. <laughs> Wait, is it that he makes cornfields or he's just linked to the cornfields? <laughs> he's linked to the cornfields. Uh, <laughs> I just love the idea of this guy in a fight. It's like, could, could we move it over there? <laughs> I just love the, the idea of like, you know, when the the heroes have been in a computer room and then they have to run away. Like imagine them like going in there like, where did all this corn come from? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, some mutants do have utterly useless powers, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think we've got our winner. I think the, I think unsurprisingly, because of how unique the skill set is <laughs> as well as also i just think it's impressive you were able to get such a detailed na- both name and sort of like reasoning for that name out of confield <laughs> yeah and i used all nine letters as well yeah <laughs> uh you used eight of them F- yes i did yeah. yes eight yes there's no eight there's no a in it there's no A. yeah <laughs> oh i should have named him coanfield <laughs> <laughs> And they called him like Conan uh, Fieldson. <laughs> <laughs> so the winner of this end game with a team of six mutants is the H-Men. So Jake, congratulations. That's three for three. Yeah, exactly. that's what I said. I was like, we need to mix it up for Jake this time. He's already yeah. on two. So. Yeah, we need to basically find someone who's able to take you down. So the full roster. Uh, so I assume you'd have Magneto in charge. Yeah. So Magneto uh, with Storm in second command, and then the foot soldiers would be Nightcrawler, Chrome Tech, Icarus, and Confield. Confield <laughs> leading the charge. Yeah. <laughs> it feels Magneto, so much. Mag- Magneto would send him first. Send- it just feels like Magneto has like, allowed all of those members to be on his team, bar Confield. <laughs> He's just there like, why am I putting up with this? Why are you here? <laughs> you were a god amongst insects. <laughs> what's your name? What's your real? What, what was his name? Connor. Fe- Connor Field. Connor Fielderson. Connor Field. What's your name? Connor Fielderson. What's your real name? Connor Fielderson. <laughs> <laughs> he just gives him a piece of corn, like you're a god amongst insects. <laughs> Well, yeah, uh, thank you guys. Thank you, Jake, for joining us once again. And thank you, Craig, for providing us with the madness as usual. And yeah, uh, let us know at home what what team would you make up? Uh, again, I, I think it'll be fun in the future if you had a highly fictional team, but I think it's also weird and fun because you've just got half normal, sensible characters and then just half ludicrousness, which goes back to, like we said before, they're kind of just the, they're all, all of them are just the morphs of their team. Confield dies and then returns. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you died. That, that would be like Groot. He's just like a little corn, <laughs> like in a, in a pot. <laughs> He's a, just the one sweet corn. <laughs> yeah. 
Just Magneto looking back, you were beautiful once. Oh, uh, that's what I should have had. It said Treeby. It was Green Giant. <laughs> oh. oh my, green giant my, my father, the Green Giant, <laughs> was once a powerful mutant. So, yes, uh, tell us at home, guys, which team would you want to have on your side uh, fighting on uh, your behalf? And, yeah, what mutant names would you like to come up with and uh, powers? Test yourself at home, find that uh, countdown game and uh, see what you come up with. Jake, where else can we find you uh, to potentially collaborate with your Confield superhero? Hit me up with the Confield ideas. Uh, You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at sweaty jake so that's s-w-e-a-t-y jake awesome yeah follow jake as he said on his social medias join us as well well good movies on facebook and instagram and you can also catch us at fresh take hub which is our parent website where you can also catch reviews and opinion pieces talking about things like x-men and uh, dc films as well as many other types of films so Thank you, everyone. Uh, go check out the original X-Men and celebrate the 20th anniversary. And hopefully soon we'll be talking about New Mutants if that film ever does come out. If anyone would like to send in any uh, Confield uh, fan art, please do. Uh, <laughs> I really want to know what this guy looks like. <laughs> please. I can just imagine, like, the condiment kin, except he's just, just one drying corn. Uh, so, yeah, thank you, guys, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye. It resembles wood.